Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Andrew Bowker, who is a product manager at IBM and a former coworker of mine. And I want to have Andrew on because I've been following him online for a little while. I really appreciate what he's doing to grow his LinkedIn following, to share a lot of his great insights on product management, product development, and things that he's passionate about. Um, He's living that just get started story because he went to college for mechanical engineering and then transitioned into the nonprofit sector and then went to some startups in the Raleigh-Durham area before going back to school for technology commercialization. So he's doing the things now that he really wants to do um, after, you know, kind of a winding journey that we all go through. So I wanted to have him on, share his story, share some of the insights he's learned over the last several years um, and some of the things he's excited about for the future. So I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Andrew. And without further ado, please welcome in Andrew Bowker. Andrew, awesome to have you, man, on the podcast. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. I know We've known each other for several years, and I know when we caught up a few months ago, I was like, man, I really enjoy some of the stuff you're doing now and, and how you've kind of made a shift in your life and kind of thinking differently about the world than you did even a handful of years ago. So I want to go into a lot of different pockets of stuff around you know, change and making choices and fear and you know, all these different types of things that we all go through on a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah, and yeah, and I, and I think you know that one of the reasons I like to have guests like yourself on is you're a little closer. You're kind of like me. You're kind of in it every day around a lot of people that are similar versus kind of you know someone that's maybe in a different realm. They've been doing it for thirty years, and and you, you have a hard time kind of saying like, well, yeah, they might be able to. You know, they have some different clout or whatever. You're in the grind. You're you're posting every day. You're thinking differently about from a product standpoint. You're working at you know a large organization actually. IBM originated in my hometown of Endicott, New York. Fun fact. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I want to start, though, before we go down those rabbit holes, because one of the things that was interesting as we've, you know, talking before and obviously looking back now, having you on here doing some prep is, you know, you went to college for mechanical engineering, mm-hmm. but you didn't go into mechanical engineering when you got out of college. No, so, not at all. I, I wanted to start here because a lot of folks go through the same thing and just maybe it'll be helpful for, for them to hear what, why did you go in for mechanical engineering in the first place? Like, why was that? Where is there, there's there something maybe from childhood or something you loved doing? Like, why was that your focus going into college anyways? Let's start there. Yeah, that's a great question. I actually can't uh, <laughs> ever really come up with a, a really good answer for that other than that. Uh, my parents or my dad was an engineer and my older brother went to college for engineering and I was good at math. Like that's literally what it came <laughs> down to. There was not much more, uh, not much forethought uh, beyond that going into it. Um, in fact, as a, as a high schooler, I didn't really give too much thought to life after high school, like life in college. I applied to one, one place and figured I was going to go there and do engineering and that was it. <laughs> So it's pretty, uh, do you, do you think, is there anything when you think back now, now you mentioned, so are you, are you a middle child or what's your, uh, I am. Yeah. I'm I'm a middle child. I have one older brother and one younger brother. Okay. I'm a middle child as well. So I get it. Yeah. We're a different, we're a different breed. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. We just roll with it. I asked that because, you know, I had a similar, I guess, upbringing in the fact that I, I didn't really have a lot of ambition of what I was going to do after I kind of got out of high school into college going forward. And, and I don't know if a lot of that was, you know, I felt like I was almost a left out kid, like, Oh, my brother, kind of my older brother and I have a younger sister. Like, you know, my dad did everything with him. And then it was kind of like, Oh, we'll do something with Brian kind of, and it was always the same. And then I was like, Oh, my younger sister is kind of different. She's a, she's a girl. There's different things there. So I don't know. I just kind of felt like weird and awkward and, I never thought about those things. I don't know if you went yeah. through something similar and, and maybe that's why you didn't really have a consideration. Like what I want to do. You almost, you almost didn't find yourself back then. Like I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't, I wasn't comfortable yeah. in my own skin. 
Yeah. I mean, I have a very similar experience to that. I mean, it was just, I, I really just didn't think about the future, what I wanted to do. I knew that I didn't want to just, you know, simply just start working right away from, from high school. I knew that I wanted to have the college experience at least, but I didn't really know what that, what all that would entail. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of a roll with the punches and go with it type person. And, uh, that was on full display as, uh, me as a senior in high school, I was like, I was just a high school athlete that really didn't think about <laughs> anything beyond high school. Yeah. Looking back, I wish I had met myself earlier so I could just kind of bonk myself on the head and be like, Hey, you know, you should think about, you know, scholarships and, you know, college costs money and you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I just try to knock some sense into myself and say, well, perhaps, you know, university isn't the best, you know, alternative right away. Like there's a lot of other options and and opportunities out there. And I think I had just kind of demonized like working right away Um, when in reality, looking back, like that's not a bad option at all. Like a lot of people who start working right away, like especially if you have some particular skill in a trade or something like that, you can really do some great work uh, where, and get ahead, you know, those four years where all of your peers are, are going to school and getting in debt, you could be <laughs> making money and, um, you know, owning, owning assets right away. Um, mm-hmm. And I just never gave any thought to that. I just really um, kind of just went with the flow with, with what my friends were doing and what I, what I thought I was supposed to do. Yeah. And and so when you were getting out of college and you were looking at, all right, what am I going to do? I got to get a job. I got to do something. Yeah. Why? And, and I don't know mechanical engineering as much, so I'm not sure what those roles would be. Mm-hmm. But did you look in that light and there weren't jobs available or you're just like, I don't know, I'm just going to get a job and then figure it out? Like, what was the mentality there? Yeah, I think um, so. I had done a co-op, a, uh, you know, you know what a co-op is mm-hmm. and um So I had done a rotation where um, it was just a very mechanical engineering design heavy, you know, sat behind a computer and design parts type of role. Um, And I also looked at all the people working there who were, you know, me 10, uh, you know, five, 10 years in the future, and they were doing the same thing. And I was just like, I don't think I want to be these people per se, not to say that anybody doing those roles is, is bad, but it just wasn't right for me. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, my junior year in high school, uh, college, I, I wanted to actually switch my major. I was like, I got to get out of here because this, this just, this life isn't for me necessarily. And, um, I had, I went to my advisor to switch my major and he was like, look, if you do this, you're going to be here for a while. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, maybe I'll stick it out. And, um, I knew going into my senior year that I wasn't going to pursue a career in mechanical engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I would just, just go ahead and get the degree and then find, uh, find an adjacent type of career where I could get into a role that, um, that I thought would be more, more fitting for me. So at the time, because I want to talk about the kind of this change and getting into, you know, product management and your yeah. kind of love around there, but you didn't start out like that, right? I mean, I when we work together at Emotion now, which is, what is it, Litho now, I think is the, the yeah, name. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Right, is, um, you know, you're uh, kind of running a lot of the customer success stuff on that side, right. kind of client facing. Um, and I know you're doing some stuff uh, before that a little bit. So kind of give me an idea of like what those first couple of years in those roles, like where you just did you think that was going to be what you're going to do for a long time? Or are you just kind of figuring it out? And I was like, well, at least I have a job. I'm learning on the job. I'm seeing what I like. Like what was the thought process, the mentality in those first yeah. few years at the college? Yeah. So the, the mentality for me was a little bit different from, I think from a lot of the peers that I graduated with, I think um, I saw an opportunity to go work with a nonprofit. So um, it was a, it was a college ministry that I had been a part of for a few years in school and was growing, um, as a, as a leader, um, in that. And so I started to find myself in my identity in college a lot more so than, you know, me in high school versus me coming out of college was totally different. And, um, I knew I wanted to commit some time at the very beginning of my career to, um, understanding who I was, what my strengths were, what, what value I brought to the world, and I was able to do that by, you know, kind of laying aside the, the mechanical engineering path that I was, you know, supposed to go down and, you know, really discovering who I am as a person, who I am as a leader, who I am as a, as a worker that brings value to an organization. And I was able to do that 
um, you know, working in this nonprofit role because it was a kind of a special uh, role that I kind of carved out for myself there. It wasn't necessarily, hey, go be on these college campuses and be a part of that that college ministry. It was more, it was more of a um, an organizational role. It was kind of like a small business, you know, role, right? So I, I was at the center of it all. So I was supporting all the different campuses. And I was doing a lot of the you know, processes um, and trying to understand how we can be more efficient as an organization, how we can you know, raise better funds and be more efficient with our fundraising and uh, donor relationships, um, trying to figure out how to do you know, marketing and drip campaigns. Mm-hmm. You know, I, got, I even got in there with finance and HR type stuff, um, yeah. training our staff, those types of things. So I was really wearing like tons of different hats in this organization really early in my career. And I'm not sure I would have had those types of opportunities if had I just started in, you know, whatever mechanical design job there there was available to me at that time. Mm-hmm. And so all this time, I'm building deep relationships with people in the industry who are, you know, passionate about certain causes. I'm building, you know, deep, you know, soft skills and leadership skills that I don't think I would have been getting, you know, anywhere else. I'm speaking to crowds, I'm speaking at conferences. And I was just developing a lot of skills that um, I think have now, you know, since come in handy quite a bit um, along the way. And so I hope that answers your question. I think to transition into the, where we met, um, you know, being in that, that role, uh, I was like, you know, I don't think nonprofit is necessarily where I want to be long-term, but I do love this like small feel, right? So I started looking at startups in the area, which is what ultimately led me to, to InMotion now. And I've always just been the, not necessarily your typical engineer, like I've more been drawn towards people. Mm-hmm. And so for me, customer success was just a good fit because I, I like customers, I like people, I like working with um, people and solving problems. So that was my first natural fit in industry. Yeah. How important do you think, going back to just a little bit with the the campus ministry stuff or even emotion now, but just because I, I know what you're saying, that kind of co-op feel of I'm in there and it's like, Oh my gosh, I kind of, you have this epiphany. Like I see myself in five to 10 years um, of almost doing the same exact thing. And, yeah. and what I found, and, and obviously being in this, in, in, in a similar position, obviously different career of like, am I going to be the same? And like, am I not going to evolve as a person? But it's almost yeah. sometimes when you get outside of the peripheral and you're actually in a totally different avenue, that's kind of uncomfortable. That's when you learn the most. It kind of stretches your mind. Like you were saying, yeah. I learned speaking. I learned leadership skills. I learned finance stuff. You never yeah. would have learned that if you went into yeah. mechanical engineering. You know, Here, Here's the craziest part about the whole thing, Brian. To do that, I actually, I wasn't getting paid. I had to actually go raise my own salary from people. So I learned a ton of sales skills and I learned to pitch myself and I learned to pitch a value proposition and mm. get people and retain people. And so that skill alone has paid me back in spades. I mean, that's, the, that's exactly what, you know, you do. If you have a startup and you're trying to raise funding and you're going to talking to VCs or investors or angel, angel groups, that's exactly what you do. Um, you're pitching a vision, your product vision, your company vision, you're, you're winning people to that vision and that idea, whether they're, you know, investors or people within your own company and you're organizing and organizing them and, you know, bringing them along this story, bringing along this journey. And that's what I was doing at that point, except it was just a, I won't, I won't call it a business, but a business of one. Right. And so, you know, I think a lot of those skills will come in handy down the line. Well, and, and you kind of touched on it there, but I want to go into a little bit more from an identity standpoint, because listen, as much as we don't want to put labels on people, that's how you start to become known. So like, mm-hmm. if we were to ask folks now about you, if I picked 10 people off the street that sort of knew you, they would attribute what you're doing now somewhere around product management, right? Mm-hmm. Those type of, in that, in that category, product, um, you know, product development, maybe product management, that whole area. Mm-hmm. So when did, you know, and maybe it was at Emotion Now, maybe it was, you know, prior, but like, when did your idea in your mind, and maybe the world didn't know it, but like, when did that start shifting to like, hey, wait a minute, I kind of like this area, this product management area, what led you down that path? Was there anything, you know, like yeah. a turning point you remember that kind of sparked that? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, so as I was transitioning out of nonprofit, I began looking at job descriptions of for startups in the area. And I was like, all right, if I was going to get a job at a startup, which job would, would be right for me? And so it really came down to three, right? It was like, okay, I think I could be in sales. I think I could be in customer success. And I think I could be in product management. And looking at all the different job descriptions of all the different companies, I thought product management was the best fit for me at the time, just because you get to wear a lot of different hats, you get to interface with sales, you get to interface with customers, but you also get to build the products. And that was, that's just what I've always liked to do is, you know, coming up with cool, fun ideas, spinning them out, making them happen and seeing what happens. Right. So that's kind of how I grew up as a kid. And it was just the best natural fit for me. So even when I showed up to the door at InMotion now where you work, I was in customer success. But from day one, my plan was to you know, land and expand into a product role. So I had built relationships with the product team, and I was trying to make sure that my, my customer success work was at least giving value to the product team in any which shape, form, or fashion that I could. Interesting. And did you find that you just kind of, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, like weaseled your way in? Or how did you get into those meetings? How did you? Yeah, I mean, they... So as a product manager, I quickly learned that you want to be close to the customer. And so I just leveraged my position as being close to the customer to say, hey, look, you want customer insights? I got them. Mm -hmm. And if you want to build a better product, listen to what customers are saying. I'll do the hard work of distilling all the information that I'm receiving on a day-to-day basis down into some actionable steps that you can take to make a better product, which is ultimately better for our customers and better for everybody that we work with. So that was kind of the angle that I took to say, hey, product manager, you probably remember who it is, but hey, product manager, he's here's all the different things that we're, you know, seeing and, and, uh, you know, interfacing with in the field. And here's how it brings value to you. So just translating, you know, my job into the job that I would hope to have at some point. Um, let's just for, and maybe it'll be helpful for everyone listening in. Can you define product management? What are, what are the key bullet points under that? If someone was hearing that, yeah. that term? Yeah, I would say product managers uh, and product management is simply, um, the best way to say it is like pr- problem solving. So you're just solving problems, but with whatever value you as a company provide. So product can be anything. It could be something physical, physical like this mic, like whoever created this mic developed it as a product and sold it so that we could use it to solve a problem. What problem are we solving? Good audio input into this Zoom meeting, right? Zoom, Zoom is another product. What problem is it solving? It's a solving the problem that me and you can talk to each other and look at each other without being in the same room, without being in the same city or the same country, right? So everything that we interface with on a day-to-day basis is a product that someone has put intentional thought and energy into to solve a particular pain point for somebody out in the world. And the product managers are the ones who, you know, gather all the information from sales to marketing, to engineering, to customers, and and they put it all in the same place so that you can put out a, you know, something valuable to the world. And does the product manager, do you find, I mean, do they get the last call on like, Hey, this is, should be the next feature we put in, or this should be the next direction, or is that someone else and the product manager is more just there as a guide? Yeah, I would say it really depends on the organization you work for. But I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, it should be the product managers who are the ones who are saying, here's the direction that the product should take and here's why. So they're the ones who are able to support why the decisions are happening and the, with, with data from customers or with, from people and from usage statistics and information to say, here's the direction we should take, here's why, and here's the data. How have you, because if I recall and, and fact check me in this, didn't you try to launch your own products on a few different occasions, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, a, yeah. Well, tell me a little bit and maybe you can share some of the, you know, maybe the product manager hat or mm-hmm. what you would have done differently, I guess, maybe if, yeah. if you could go back, but could you share? Cause I think that helps too. You know, the, the whole thing about this podcast, talk a lot about it's about getting started, um, mm-hmm. which we'll get into a little bit more, but it's also about you fail sometimes, you know, oh, and, and yeah. you learn from it and, and you can't always progress forward. You know, there's some costs there and sometimes mm-hmm. it's best to leave that product and go to something else. So can you share a little bit about some of those, uh, 
those things you try to build and maybe why yeah. they didn't work out at the time? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, so I guess another pivotal, pivotal point was um, I left in motion now to go back to a product acceleration program at NC state where I graduated from. And um, the reason I did that is because they had this product program. You got your MBA as a part of it, but the whole point of the program was for you to launch a product. So I was like, okay, I've always had, you know, I've always had the entrepreneurial bug and, you know, this was an opportunity for me to say, you know, I could go back to school, get an MBA and launch a product and have potentially have my own business. Seems like a great deal. I even got a scholarship. So I was like, I'd be stupid to turn this down. Um, I definitely didn't want to go back to school, but this was, this was in school. This was launch products, fail, uh, see what happens type, type of, um, you know, situation for me. So I, I, uh, ended up, you know, looking back, I absolutely loved it because I got to do just that. I got to launch three products during that time. Um, the first one that was a, uh, was a, you know, universities have tons of, um, basically patents of cool technology sitting on the shelf doing nothing. And so one of the, one of the uh, opportunities was to take some of these patents and see if we could commercialize them and turn them into an actual product, right? So it was truly zero to one trying to figure out how to make money um, uh, using you know, a technology that I didn't have to develop myself. Um, and the first one was a soy paper uh, like a dissolvable soy paper that we tried to turn into wipes. So you, you've seen the market for dude wipes. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things with, with wipes, you know, we were trying to solve the problem of is you can't flush uh, wipes like baby wipes or dude wipes or face, face wipes down the toilet or it clogs your toilet, right? Most people don't know that. And a lot of people clog, end up clogging their toilet. So we thought we might be able to solve that problem by creating a dissolvable uh, wipe. Um, and so we worked with like some of the paper labs from NC state to try to develop this and, um, tried to launch it, try to create a plan around what this would look like. And at the end of the day, it just ended up not being a, uh, a big enough problem to solve here in America. Um, I think the bigger problem was probably in Europe where the pipes are a little bit smaller and older. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's like rule number one of product management is, don't go building stuff if you don't know if the problem's actually there or not. So I spent a ton of time, you know, the team and I spent a ton of time trying to figure out, is this problem worthy to be solved? Is there a true problem here? And that is really the crux of product management. I can't remember like this famous quote, but it's like, if I had to save the world in 30 days, I would spend 29 defining the problem. Whoever said that, it's probably some, like Aristotle or something like that. Is that the, you know, but, sharpen your ax twice, cut once kind of thing or whatever it is? Pretty much. Yeah. It's true though. For product management, it's like you need to solve the right problem. So you need to spend the most time on figuring out what that problem is. And then the solution is rather, you know, trivial from there. You, you can, you can create a solution. It's just about the right problem to solve. So that was the first product. The other ones are actually can I, can I ask more a, interesting. Well, let me ask you a quick question on that because it's more taking it from the ideation stage. Now, you were fortunate where you had some, you know, like if I wanted to start that same idea, I don't even know where I would begin because I don't have a, you know, a paper assigned, you know, like department, yeah. um, whatever at, on campus there. But like having that and, and you just had those resources available, which were awesome. How did you go about thinking through, like, did you just map out like, okay, we think these are the ingredients you'd have to have or this, like, how, how did you maybe go through those early ideation phases? Because I think that's where a lot of folks get stuck. It's like, oh, great. I have a phenomenal idea today. Then what? Like, I don't even know what step two is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a lot of, so with a physical product like that, I mean, there's a lot of different types of validation that needs to take place, right? So you take the core base technology that you're dealing with, and then you say, what are the put, uh, potential solutions, uh, potential problems that could be solved with this, right? So we thought about not just, you know, wipes, but we thought about different avenues like, uh, toilet paper or uh, paper towels in the, you know, in the restroom, public restrooms, or what other like, like cigarette rolling, you know, um, packaging for pizzas. Like you really start to get creative with, Hey, we have this technology. What mm -hmm. could it do? Right. So you look at all the different avenues it could go down and then you try to evaluate from 
what it can do. Now, is there a market for it? Will somebody actually be willing to pay money for this? And, you know, are there any fatal flaws within those ideas? For instance, you know, you see tons of cigarette butts, you know, on the ground uh, out in the world, right? So if, you know, we thought, you know, if, you know, you could, you know, smoke that cigarette with a dissolvable paper, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that'd be, that would make it so that there's less cigarette butts on the ground in the world. But it also means that if you're smoking a cigarette, your saliva gets on it, it could dissolve in your hand, right? So that there's a fatal flaw with that. So you have to try to figure out what are the, what are the things that, um, you know, prevent you from moving forward, but, and, you know, and have a legitimate problem to it and a legitimate market to it. And then you start to pursue those ideas. You'll, you'll narrow them down to a few different ideas. And then you can start talking to customers or potential customers and saying, Hey, you know, what are the pros and cons here of, of using something like this? And for us, everybody was a potential customer because everybody wipes, right? So, um, well, Everybody here in America wipes. So you have, yeah, yeah. we learned, we learned a lot about um, the toilet. <laughs> when did you, um, you know, I'm curious about the saying no, like we're done. We, we're not going to move forward with this. How was that decision made? Sometimes um, it's a little bit easier. Um, for us, it came down to regulation. So um, it was just a problem that was a little bit bigger th- than we were able to solve, I think. And, um, the people who regulate, so, you know, just to not to get too nitty gritty into the details, but the people who regulate, um, what can and can't be flushed down the toilet deem flushable wipes as flushable when in fact the scientific community does not. Right. Mm-hmm. So even though the scientific community says, no, you shouldn't flush wipes, the governing authority says you can't and until the switch is made, you can't do it. Right. So for us, it was, you know, we can't really force the, the government of, you know, maybe, maybe I can't remember what the name of the organization was, but we can't force the organization to say that flushable wipes aren't flushable <laughs> uh, anymore, which would bode well for us, but bode bad for, you know, every single company out there that puts flushable on their packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that for us, it came down to that. So you'd um, almost have to, you'd be almost have to re-educate the market yes. on the potential. Cause there's no, like technically your competitive advantage would be, Hey, you can actually, these are actual Truly. flushable and Truly they dissolve flushable. and here's yeah. what happens. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then not to mention the other, you know, you know, different aspects of manufacturing that that paper is a little bit difficult. The, the process is difficult, right? So if we were going to, um, you know, license the manufacturing process for that, you know, for instance, with a big partner, like a, like a Georgia Pacific, they would have to alter their manufacturing process pretty significantly to create this soy based solution um, instead of us just being able to plug and play with the machines that they already had. Right. So there's other considerations to take into place as well. Mm. Um, You know, either that, or we would have to rent out NC States, um, lab for, for doing that, which also got expensive. So sometimes there's other blockers, financial, financial or otherwise. What, what were some of their other ideas or things you guys tried? Yeah. Anything else uh, worth, worth noting? Particular, at least? <laughs> with that particular uh, project? No, with another, another you said you had, a, I think they had a yeah. couple of products. Any, anything else <laughs> of note that would be fun to, to hear? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I actually, so I actually ended up winning quite a bit of money on another product. So we had some yeah, NC State is pretty high up there. Actually, it might be number one uh, as of this year in entrepreneurship programs in the in the country for public universities. And um, so, we, with that, there's a lot of like uh, booming uh, ecosystem of competitions that you can enter into and, and raise funding from uh, at NC State and around the community there. So we entered into the biggest like entrepreneurship competition at the university with one product. It was a, uh, it's called, you know, for, for, for short, we called it chirp. It was an IOT device that you could place above your stove and it would detect uh, kitchen fires, you know, and, uh, and alert out on those kitchen fires and prevent them. So, um, so we had created this, this prototype for that and it was pretty awesome and um we we had created a a pitch deck and we were winning all sorts of money (laughs) for this product and we were planning to go and you know get you know you know contract a manufacturer in china and 
and um, you know start building building out the product a little bit more robustly. Robustly, I would say. So that one was another fun project. What, what, are you going to tell me what happened? What happened with that? <laughs> that one also uh, went went away. So a lot of the partners that I had, was working on um, on that product with either uh, weren't from um, the states and they had to go back home or um, they just weren't in a place in life where they could work on it. And so it just kind of one of those, another situation where sometimes it's, you know, financial, sometimes it's governmental constraints and sometimes just team, team constraints. And um, you can't uh, always have the exact, you know, team members and at the exact point in life um, ready to work on everything. But like with something like that, like, do you have that, like, do you have all those, like, if you wanted to pick that up today, are you able to do that? Like, do you have the rights to that, I guess, or? I do. Yeah. So I could pick it up today. Um, A couple of things keep me from doing that still. Um, And again, it comes back to, are you solving uh, a real true problem? Um, And so for me, with this particular device, it comes down to um, a couple of things, right? So the big shtick for this one is that 50% of all house fires that happen in America actually originate from the stove. And so, the, so that, you know, that means that if your house is going to catch fire or a portion of your house is going to catch fire, um, it's most likely going to happen in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is, is because if you go look in your kitchen, you'll see that uh, smoke detectors aren't really near the stove. And the reason that is, is because um, it just cuts down on the number of like false alarms that you get. So like mm-hmm. if you're cooking and you got steam that rises up near that, you're going to get really annoyed really fast because so what they do is they put those smoke detectors a little bit further away outside mm-hmm. of the you know direct uh, area of the stove. And so when a fire truly does occur, sometimes you find out about it a little bit after you should. And so that's one of the one of the reasons that it happens, um, you know, in the house like that. But what what it came down to was: is somebody willing to pay for an insurance device like that, um, where you could potentially have a stove fire, um, versus you know, have I ever had a fire in my house? So the overwhelming majority of people are saying, you know, I'd rather not pay. <laughs> whatever 100 200 bucks for this device because it can't happen to me it won't happen to me right so that's the overwhelming attitude is really what it comes down to which is different from a secure like an iot security device which is uh burglaries and home break-ins and package mm-hmm. theft and and all sorts of things is a lot more prevalent than an actual fire taking place yeah well that comes down to even like i just recently purchased for my new house here uh fire extinguishers Hadn't had them for a yeah. while, but, and, and I thought, and I, I remember even thinking about like buying, I'm like, well, do I, you know, I'm like, of course, dude, just get some. They're not that expensive. Like, let's get a few. Right. But a lot of people don't think about that um, because it's, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I wonder if I had a fire. I got, you know, what are the odds? But, if, you know, exactly. when you look at it, it's like 30 bucks to get a fire extinguisher. I mean, they're not expensive. Right. Um, but you'll be the- glad you have it when you need it. Exactly. So I can see though, that's where your is like the annoyance of having that and maybe go off. Yeah. How many times have I had a fire? How many times have I had a fire in my stove? Mm, the fire alarm will get it, you know? Yeah. I could, exactly. I could see that as well as a potential um, challenge. Yeah. I mean, and it goes back to kind of what you were saying earlier about the whole thing around, you know, product management is, is problem solving. It's kind of thinking problem. through, it's not just, I have this great idea, right? Let's go full throttle, you know, yeah. put blinders on because sometimes to your point, the market conditions aren't there. The timing is not right. It's not, you know, for whatever reason, regulations, like there's a lot of things and there's probably been a lot of great products out there that never went forward mm-hmm. because yeah. of these sort of things. And and if you don't think about those, you waste a lot of time and money um, mm-hmm. and never go anywhere, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. And it's, and it's exhausting every potential opportunity and solution to understand whether or not you, you truly have a problem. And for us, it was, it was looking at the actual insurance side of things, right? To say, okay, you're a landlord, you have this many apartment units, you you maybe want these devices so that you can have a uh, a point of a point of area or a um, a proof to look back to in the event of a fire and say, yes, a fire did occur here. Here it is on camera and the time at which it occurred, and you have reporting, right? So um, it was a way for you know maybe potential landlords to you know insure their assets a little bit better. 
you know, those types of things. So we looked at all sorts of different, um, you know, ways that we could commercialize it. And even then it was, if it burns down, I get more money. You know, it was, it was, it was kind of like, you just try to figure out, um, what, you know, what the actual pain points are for people. Yeah. Well, that's actually something, one, one of the things I've appreciated that you've been doing and, you know, kind of following your journey online. I know you're very active on LinkedIn, but it's like that kind of, you want to give back that these kind of maybe how you think about the world differently, maybe some, from some of these other experiences outside of product management, where you're sharing a lot of those tips and tricks and thoughtful things, you know, mm-hmm. like on LinkedIn to help a lot of these newer product managers or people just in general, maybe starting yeah. businesses, they don't have the foggiest idea what to do. What was the thought process, I guess, getting, starting to put yourself out there? Like, was there any fear there of like, eh, what are people <laughs> going to think if I'm sharing stuff, you know? Yeah, there's totally fear uh, for sure. I mean, that first post was like, I just hit it and ran away, you know? Um, that's pretty much what it came down to. But yeah, I, I uh, at the end of the day, I was like, you know, um, I haven't really been active on any social media, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or, um, or I guess TikTok's the big thing these days, but it's like, I just, um, I haven't really put myself out there to know whether or not like some of these ideas I have are actually worth, you know, worth looking into or worth anything for people. Right. So I thought, you know, if me five years ago was struggling with trying to break into product management, I'm sure there's somebody out there who's like, who's just like that, who's me five years ago. And so if I could help them kind of break in without having to do the land and expand, without having to get the customer success job and try to expand into it, then I thought that would be helpful for people. So that's really who I write to is me five years ago, people who are aspiring product managers, people who are, you know, building things and trying to create you know, to have, a, have, have, have it all right. So like have a career in one uh, realm and product management is a very fulfilling and, and a rewarding career and then have stuff on the side that is also fulfilling and rewarding, right. So that you can have both and, you know, ultimately, you know, raise income, raise, you know, satisfaction of, you know, f- you know, feeling like you're helping the world and providing value to the world. Yeah. Well, and I think it's too, and, you know, I try to share a good amount out there. And as actually, so I, you must've wrote this either today or the, you know, LinkedIn algorithm, who knows, it could have been within a few <laughs> days ago, but it was something along the lines of, I wrote it down here was, um, which goes right to the, just get started platform, you know, that my, my yeah. kind of North star it's when yeah. you get an idea, your only competition is time. Yeah. Remember writing this? Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was today actually. Okay. Yeah. So, which I, which I love because you're right. I mean, it's like, we have this idea in our head of why the 20 reasons we can't do something, mm-hmm. but it's all internalized. And it's mm-hmm. like, if we just put our, our best foot forward and try it, like you said, I hit post and I ran like that was the first day. Well, you had to hit, you couldn't get to day two, just like I couldn't get to number two on this podcast without episode number one. And, right. and then here I am well over 200 already. And it's, it's crazy when I think back like that, but I'm like, Yeah, because at some point you have to overcome that fear that you have inside and all the crap that's out there that you think is going to either derail it or make fun of you or all that and just say, you know what, this is what I want to do. Because the longer it takes, all of a sudden a year goes by, five years go by, and then you're starting to regret that decision. And you think about like, where could you be if you had done the thing you said you wanted to do a year earlier, mm-hmm. right? So I didn't want to get to that point again the next year and say, you know, I wish I had put myself out there and started building something online and started building relationships. You always want to build relationships with people. You won't like whatever, if you call that networking, whatever you call it, you always want to be building the thing that you wish you were building before you need it, mm-hmm. Right. And that is exactly right. So, so you're only up, you're only up against time. And um, if you want to build something, you just throw it out there, validate it or invalidate it, but at least you have an answer. Mm -hmm. If you don't throw it out there, then you're just sitting on an idea, battling back and forth and you're doing nothing. Inaction is just going to crush you. um, If you, if you allow it to. And, and if you think about, you know, anything out there that's been created, they didn't have a, you know, a thousand followers in the first day, or they didn't have a million dollars in sales, or you didn't have anything like that. And you just have to, you know, when you mentioned that, it kind of even thought, even more than the podcast, I thought about, you know, I, I blogged here and there, I'd write these articles, you know, a, a few a year, you know, what have you. And then I decided this year, I said, I like writing, 
I kind of like the short kind of, I call them micro blogs. I enjoy mm-hmm. writing those. So I said, I'm just going to start doing those. And in April, I started, I, I blog now um, three times a week mm-hmm. for the entire, you know, as, as we're recording this podcast and is this a launch? Like, so I look at like now, I think as we're recording this in December, you know, I have over a hundred blog articles this year um, from April. Just by though, to exactly what you just mentioned is like, you you can't just say, oh, I'm going to be at this next level without starting from the beginning. And you, you got to do the work. You got to put the work in. You got to see what happens. And you have to, you know, just with anything, if uh, with any online promotion or any kind of growing to help people, well, they have to know you exist. So the only way Google's exactly. going to pick up the, you know, like, you know, it's going to be in the algorithm. The only way LinkedIn's going to be, the only way people can sign up for newsletters or anything like that is you have to put it out there. Right. And right. you could sit and say, well, no one's going to care about it. You don't know that because you everyone don't. in history um, is the same way. Anyone that yeah. started anything, it's like, yeah, no one's going to care about this. Well, until, until they, they do, care, until they care yeah. about it. You know? <laughs> until they do. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're hitting on all the exact thoughts that I had before I started. And you don't know until, you know, not to be cheesy, until you just get started. Yeah. And you, just, you, you basically just have to get over that initial hump to say, here's what I'm going to do. And then, like you said, the consistency of doing that day in and day out is where the magic sauce is, even though it kind of sucks sometimes, right? So, like, you've been creating three blogs a week for since, you know, so eight months now. Yeah. I mean, that is incredible consistency. And um, the, the reward of that is perhaps there's more people reading the blog, perhaps not. But either way... You've now become a better writer. You have a body of work that you can point back to, and you have a, an actual living digital asset that you can repurpose for for other things, right? So whether, whether you said like SEO, like content Google stuff, or you, you're now sitting on a chest of uh, repurposeful content that you could use for other things. Right. Yeah, and exactly. And, and I think that's where I got, you know, as I tell this story a lot, like I... Um, I was going to start a podcast in 2015 and it took me two years to actually do it. start it. So, yeah. And that's why it's called just get started because I, you know, because I, I felt just like you, like there's people out there that I need to tell the story to, and maybe that could help them get started and kind of kick themselves into gear and, and overcome that fear. But that's the same thing. I, no, I don't, I don't think about, Oh, I wasted two years. I don't, I don't, I don't put that in my mentality. I used to think that now it's a little mm-hmm. different. I'm like, no, I grew in those two years to mm-hmm. get me to the point to be able to do what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so I, I, a lot of it all comes down to the mindset and, and you know, how you uh, think about it. But um, yes. from a LinkedIn standpoint, what has been, was there like, a, as you started to put those pieces out, was there kind of like a, an aha moment or like a breakthrough moment? You're like, whoa, People, this is resonating with people. Is there anything you've you've picked up in the time? That's a great question. Um, you know, yes and no. I would say with that, it's like sometimes I'll write a piece and I'll be like, "This is brilliant," you know, and I'll put it out there and it doesn't really get well received. But it could have something to do with just the day or the time that you posted it, or who saw it, who didn't see it. Sometimes it, you know, if somebody really influential comes along and comments or or uh, likes it, then it increases the. So a lot of it's outside of your control, um, you know. And then sometimes I'll write something that's like, yeah, this is pretty good and it works for today, and I'll post it and it'll do great, right? So it's just yeah. like you, you just never know. So that's why I say the consistency is the key because it, if you're consistently putting something out there, something is going to take at some point, and it's just at some point it's going to happen. And so for me, it was probably, oh, there's a lot of work that went into these things, but it just seemed like one week it just blew up. Right. So it just, people just started seeing it, uh, seeing the stuff I was putting out there. And, um, so with more eyeballs came more people, you know, uh, commenting and, and, uh, engaging with the content. And, um, I want to say it was just a, it was a message I got from a guy that was like, Hey, like your, your stuff has helped me out so much. I feel like I should be paying you is basically what he said. And I was just like, that is awesome. Like I'm just putting out like free knowledge for people. And somebody felt like it was so valuable to them that they would have paid for it. And I just thought that was a turning point for me. It made me want to keep going. I was like, 
I just want to keep offering this free advice for people and like helping people, you know, break into product management or, you know, get places where they couldn't um, or you know, get the type of information they're not getting from other places. And so that's for me, what made me want to double down and keep going. Are you, uh, are you just sticking on LinkedIn? Are you trying to, I know we talked in the past, I don't want to put you in the spot, but about maybe yeah. starting a podcast, newsletter, yeah. what's, what's going on? I've been ever, thinking, ever, ever, since since to, ever since we talked a couple of months ago, I've still been thinking about the podcast. Um, yeah, I think, you know, um, at some point I'm probably going to start diversifying, you know, where things go. It is, a, it is difficult to do the content management stuff when you're coming up with original stuff every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trying to just like, think about how to disperse that on a different platforms just feels like a, a little bit of a time suck. So trying to figure out, you know, systems to have in place to help me do those things quickly would be, would be helpful. And then I could start to perhaps uh, start building relationships on Twitter as well. I think a lot of where my audience, like people who, people who, um, you know, maybe are into product management or building things without code or those, those types of activities like building, you know, side projects are a, a lot of that audience is on Twitter. Um, they're on LinkedIn too, but, um, LinkedIn is just where I got, where I got started. Um, and then the podcast, I think, would be helpful too, just f- from a networking standpoint, mm-hmm. um, to meet other people who are like-minded, um, and to you know, and then from a content standpoint, to create something helpful for people who are in my shoes or were in my shoes. Are there any? And, and I'll try to get you out of here, maybe in the next uh, few minutes here. But is there any thing, whether it's around product management, maybe it's around again content creation, but anything specific you're thinking about maybe to share with the audience um, that's getting started with these types of things that needs that kind of, you know, you know, ounce of inspiration or anything like that. I like to always say at that post-it note, you're sticking on your computer, you're giving them a a place to look at it to motivate them. What what are you going to share with them? (laughs) I wish I had just something incredible uh, for that, for them to share right there. But um, honestly, um, my take on advice is that it's kind of overrated. So um, any advice that you receive is usually going to be good sometimes and not great sometimes. So you just have to pick and choose the right advice for you in this particular situation. So I guess like the first advice is evaluate your situation. Where are you? What are your goals? What are you trying to do? And then pick and choose what advice, you know, fits those, um, you know, that criteria. And for me at the time getting started, I had just, like we had talked about, a lot of fear of putting myself out there online because um, it just felt like it wasn't cool or it wasn't, it didn't feel right. It didn't, it didn't feel like real per se. Like I didn't feel like I was creating genuine relationships online. Um, And so for me, the advice that I kind of told myself was just see what happens, put yourself out there, get over yourself and be curious and just see what happens from there. And so that's what I did. And um, that curiosity has led to a lot of great places. I've met a lot of great people, um, people I've never met in person, but, you know, building those true relationships online where, um, yeah. Well, and I, and I, and to kind of double click on that for a minute, I, I really think that's, you don't know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, you don't know until you know. You so we can make up the story in our head and say, gosh, I've done this too many times to count like you of like, well, they're not going to, you know, that that's not going to work out or she's going to say no if I ask her out or anything like this, like anything, yeah. instead of just going ahead and saying, you know what, do I really want to do this? And if the yeah. answer is yes, you figure out a way to push yourself forward and do it. That's yeah. as simple as that, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And you can make up, you know, outcomes and stories in your mind all you want, but you won't know until you get the results. And what I can say is, it's been crazy different from what I expected. Like I didn't expect people to reach out to me for advice or people to think that what I had to say, like made sense. Like I just thought (laughs) everything I would put out there was just stupid or dumb, but a lot of that is just your own, I guess not to use an, uh, uh, an overpopular term right now, but it's, it's that imposter syndrome of just, you don't think you're that great. And, um, truthfully speaking, you probably aren't, but there is somebody out there who will resonate and there is an audience out there who will gain value from what you have to say. Yeah. You just have to be, you know, willing to put yourself out there. Yeah. And I think one of the, uh, 
kind of trying to give credit to who I heard this from uh, more recently, but like, it's almost like the whole, like, you know, shop local thing, like think local. Everyone wants to be like, Oh, I got to build, you know, the next, whatever, you know, Airbnb. No, think locally. How could your neighbors, how could your, your, your community, you know, how could you improve their lives? What are some things you can do if you want to give back to the world? Um, Start there and then grow. Don't always, it doesn't always have to be the greatest, like biggest thing because really it's helping the neighbor down the street might be extremely impactful, you know, for your community. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that you're speaking to the idea of like niching. And so for me, it was, I speak to a very specific person on LinkedIn who is the aspiring product manager, who's not afraid to get their hands dirty and build something. Mm -hmm. But every day I get connection requests from senior product managers, uh, adjacent roles like, you know, UX and design and engineering. So like your, your circle will increase even, even when you try to double down and, and, and focus in on a specific person. Absolutely right there. Andrew, this is awesome, man. Where can everyone find you online? LinkedIn, I know. Where where they type in your name? What's the best spot to get to you? Yeah, that's honestly it right there is LinkedIn. I'm just, I'm a a solely focused man at the moment. And I found found that to be the best move for me right now. But um, I am, I am planning some, some things. So we'll see what happens. Sounds good, man. Well, thanks so much for joining. This is a lot of fun. I'm glad to get you on here and, uh, and catch up with you further. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out, or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, if you go to my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe, if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.